Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. Guess what, Francisca Show listeners? Today is our 50th episode, and for this episode, we have something a little different planned for you. Nishama Karbach generously offered to interview me, so the tables have turned. But if you do want to check out Nishama Karlbach's interview, make sure to go a couple of episodes back and listen to that one. But wait, there's more. I have a surprise release waiting for you at the end of this episode, a song called Ms. Morla David that will be available on iTunes next week. And without any further ado, introducing the one and only Nishama Karlbach, your host for today. It's an honor to host you on your own podcast, friend. <laughs> it's a, I think it's a very cool thing to sort of hear for your listeners, for the people who love you, to hear a little bit about you and to get to know you a little bit better. This is an honor. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your childhood, how you grow up. You were, I know that you were from Moscow and it sounds horribly romantic and beautiful and exotic to me. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about your life as a child. Just like any other child, I didn't grow up thinking I was majorly different. Okay, let me scratch that actually. I knew exactly that I was very different because I was raised to understand that my parents moved from a mainstream Jewish community to build a community from scratch. So I was not like anyone else. Later on with the years, there were more from families. I had friends who did come from families that did find God. Wait, before before uh, yeah. we before we move from there, tell us a little bit about what was what was missing in your parents' world, and what was the kind of community that they wanted to build. So Russia, after the Soviet Union fell apart, and the Soviet Union was a time where Mother Russia was religion and nothing else but communism and the government leadership was allowed. Uh, so Judaism was forbidden. Pursuing anything for the soul was not permitted. So around 89 to 92, there is this emptiness. There's suddenly no restrictions anymore. There's a big yearning for Judaism and whatever else people were searching at the time. So there was a void that my parents took the opportunity to fill and they moved to Russia, to Moscow, and then built a community pretty much from scratch. Because anyone who did have any sort of connection to God during communism left the first second they had a chance, which was around that time. That's really inspiring. Okay, so continue. So you are, you are growing up in that world that they are creating for you, right? which is incredibly brave and beautiful. So whatever didn't exist, my parents created, and that's sort of how I live my life. If there's something I feel like is missing or doesn't exist, I try to make room or space for it in this world. Definitely a great environment for artists to 
live in. But there were no Jewish schools, so my, my parents founded the school. There's minimal education, Jewish education. They provided that. My mother taught us on Sunday mornings, just a couple of friends and my sister. We had a great arts program in the school. So I was part of this ensemble where we, we sang, we recorded albums, we, we were in this vocal and dance group, and we acted also. We had this two-hour show. Wow. Yeah, we had this two-hour show that we toured a few countries with. So that was pretty cool to experience as a child. Wow. And you, and you were doing all of this in a Shomer Shabbat environment. Exactly. More so, we either performed in school or any other venues that were available, nothing that was on Friday nights or Shabbos. And then when we did take our trips, instead of putting up the girls and us in hostels, wherever else, or hotels where people go on their on tour, the idea behind this tour was also to expose the girls to Jewish communities in other countries and other mainstream communities. So the girls were placed in Jewish homes, volunteers who put up their guest rooms for a week or however long it was, so the girls could build a relationship with someone or just meet other people and kids like them. Wow. I think that's really, really special. And what do you what do you feel was the thing that you gained most as a child from all of these very experiences? First of all, did you realize that you were incredibly blessed? I definitely have the, the talk of everyone around me talks, oh, we're so blessed, we have to thank God or... We have to be grateful. We have to pay it forward. So that's definitely something I grew up with. And also the people around me tell me, oh, wow, you're so interesting, or this is so cool, or your parents are so amazing. You have such an exceptional upbringing. So that's been also ingrained into me. Right. So ingrained into you, but not necessarily an organic feeling. Oh, it's definitely organic. But I think something you actually can comprehend later on in life when you're an adult, I think we mentioned that also on your podcast, like realizing how, what your parents or what your father's doing. I think with maturity, I was able to actually see how awesome it is. I think growing up, it's, I I had the lines in my head. I don't think I comprehended it on the level. I understand that. And I'm grateful for it now. Yes. That makes total sense. It makes total sense. A lot of children, you know, it takes us a while to grow up. I guess that's what growing up is. Okay, so you are you are growing up in this amazing, blessed, kind of like bubble of love in <laughs> Moscow. What was the first big transformation of life that happened to you? What was your big change from that to where you are now? So leaving home, that was definitely the first thing. I remember always thinking, understanding that I have a deficit of Jewish education and knowledge, like my first cousins who lived in the States or in Israel, knew a lot more than I did. Like, I didn't know Nach like they did. I didn't speak Hebrew maybe like they did, and Halacha, and other subjects like that. So I felt a desperate need to catch up, and my first opportunity to do that Mm. was when I went to seminary in Israel. I was two, three years younger than everyone else my year, but I didn't really have other good options post-high school just because I graduated at such a young age. So that was... Mm my first big transformation. And it wasn't the most perfect fit. And I would say just because of the age gap, meaning I wasn't in the same stage as they were in. And yes, I was, but I wasn't going off to get married the year after, which is is the stage. We, we did all graduate high school the year before, but I was 16 and they were 18, 19. Right. Yeah. So that, that probably impacted you 
socially as well. It's not simple to be young, I think. True. But also, I didn't realize it then. It was later on that I was like, oh, that was a misfit in my life. But I did Mm. use that year to catch up. So it was a very strong academic year for me where I just engrossed myself in studies. And I feel like I did catch up in a way. So I did accomplish those goals. That's wonderful. And how did you begin then from that space to go back to your music? Or was it something that you always carried with you? So in addition to being a part of the ensemble of the dance vocal group, I also attended and graduated from a music school where I studied classical guitar and piano, amongst other things. So after leaving home, I did continue to take music lessons and I participated in Kedma. Everyone had to sign up for some chesed or project type of activity once a week. And I chose to be a part of this group called Kedma, where we rehearsed most weeks for different performances. And then we went around to different places and performed. So we went a lot to shelters Mm. for battered women. We would be told the location right when we would be going because it was a security issue. And we would sing songs for these women and these children who were in these temporary home shelters. And where Mm. else? We went to nursing homes and We catered every performance to where we were going. So that was a lot of fun working on that and using our arts. I'm very inspired hearing that you had such richness and chesed in your upbringing. I think that's probably what inspired you to begin sort of bringing music and healing out to the world in all these different ways as an adult, right? I wish... We're sort of on this amazing road. (laughs) I wish I could say those are my intentions, but I think it's more mm. selfish. I, I have a need to sing. I have a desire to perform. I, I get so much pleasure and mm. and a high from making people smile from when I'm entertaining them. I think if it would just be truly out of chesed, I don't know I could if I could keep this up. <laughs> That's how hard this work is. Yeah, I hear you. I believe me, I hear you. I hear you. What would be the thing that you would change? about this, you know, and you say that you have this thirst. What is the thing you would wish to change most about the music industry when you say that you don't know that you could keep it up? The number one thing, and I I think people who do know me a little bit know that I talk about this a lot, just creating more monetary opportunities, or I don't know if that's the right way to say this, but where opportunities are being paid more paid gigs. Basically, that's a way to directly support the artist. Another thing besides for that is the handling of everything and just the respect for for this industry, respect for the women who are doing this. We're not less than any other occupation. Of course not. Do you you feel, though, that the the way the world would view, or this world, this niche that you're in, would view a woman artist, don't you think that that's the way they view women in general? Yes. Are women are women ever treated as well as men are? I'm not. It's. I know that this is a big question. It's a loaded question, and I. I don't believe it's. You know, it's not knocking on anyone to understand that this is true. Don't you believe in general that Jewish women have less respect in terms of their occupation? I think Jewish women don't receive the respect that they deserve in any walk of life in the Orthodox world. That is. That is my own experience, and I don't want to generalize. Because I, I know that there are exceptions to all rules and there are so many amazing, gorgeous, beautiful people in the Orthodox world. But I think overall, to generalize, 
I don't believe that women get what they need. So I unfortunately totally identify with that. However, I did have this discovery on this podcast I did with Avital Chisha Goldschmidt, who's my sister-in-law, where she said Jewish women who have the most credibility in the Jewish world are the women who gain the credibility outside of the Jewish world, meaning women who are in press, in the media, or they're uh, judges like Judge Ruchi Fryer, or there's this woman, her last name is Newberger, and she just got promoted a couple of weeks back to the head of cybersecurity at the NSA. So women like that mm. are definitely respected. If you're a doctor or any other fancy, secular, credible job holder, or if you have credibility in the outside world, the women definitely have more respect in the Jewish world. In the shul per se, in a shul setting, no, that I wouldn't say that's the same. I also don't think the men think that as a respect or not respect. I think they look at it as a religious role, maybe, type of thing. But in a social setting, if a woman is a doctor or if she's a professor or if she is a millionaire, she's definitely respected like a man. However, a woman who is a singer or a teacher or a hard worker in any other occupation, I think she's definitely is considered less prestigious than just a man who might hold a, the title rabbi or have some sort of interesting background who could get speaking engagements just because of his background. That It hurts me so much to hear you kind of confirm that. Um, I feel like you're, you know, I, I left the Orthodox world very proudly years ago because I, I was done with that dynamic. You know, and the way you describe it, I, I know it's true. It's, and it's accepted almost. How do you, how do you see you and your sisters rising up to change that? Or do you feel that change is not really going to come to this part of the community? So I believe it's coming. I don't know how long it's going to take because things that were not accepted, let's say 10 years ago, are already accepted today and the norms are shifting. Like what? Day to day. Like what? We have the Yoetzed Initiative, which is the program where there are female trained, certified religious leaders and their role is to assist women in the Tahara Mishpacha base. Meaning women who in the past had to go to a rabbi to ask certain questions today Either you could call it a middleman or the end where you could go to a woman and she is educated enough to either inform you of... It's very clear how they say that they're not paskining. They're not actually deciding on what's law or not, but they're educated enough to tell you this is the norm. This is considered okay. This is not okay. And if they're not sure, they go to a rabbi. So that's become more and more accepted. It's still controversial in many communities, but it's... It's something that was unheard of. There are women who have positions in Jewish communities. They, they are on boards. And I'm not an expert in this. But all I know is right. that we're fighting the battle. If there was a ladder of which issues are the hottest or the most important to most people, the Jewish women artists are definitely at the bottom because the arts doesn't concern as many people as the other issues do. So wow. we're sort of at the bottom so of it. I so do not agree. I so do not agree with that. <laughs> when you asked me how I feel, are women less respected? So with that scale in mind, the women in the arts are even lower. Let's say I'm not 
is a rocket scientist, right? Or I'm not a yoetz I feel like I have to justify or legitimize my occupation. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's so unheard of. People don't know what to do with me when I introduce myself and I say, this is what I do. <laughs> How do they respond? When you say this is what you do, what's a typical, a typical response that you get? The typical response is, oh, it's so interesting. They don't even know what to say next. It, it is a topic of conversation, like it could definitely occupy us for 40 minutes of me explaining. There's definitely interest. I had to work on not feeling like I'm on defense when I'm explaining to people what I do. Because it's not a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. It's different. Right. So, yeah. I want to understand, because this I find this very fascinating. You would be on the defensive thinking that people don't respect you as much, or you're on the defensive because you're not giving enough legitimacy to what it is that you do. Do you, know, do you understand the question? Yeah. Which one is it? Which comes first? It's an internal issue for me feeling that I have to legitimize my work because mm. it's not something that pays me a hundred grand a year, which other occupations oh. can lead so, to that. So because you're, you're not getting like a major salary, you feel like it might be less, less important or less impacting? It's not standardized. It's not something that you answer and people say, oh, okay, I, I know exactly what you do. This is the box I'd put you in. You're, you know, a teacher or you're a doctor. When I say I'm a musician or I'm in the music industry, they're sort of extremely confused. So I'm either on the, I'm either on hippie who's doing different things every year or somebody who might have a big name one day, but we don't know. I, I don't know what people think. Hmm. But that's in my head. That's my issue. And I've been working on sounding more confident when I answer questions about right. my occupation and what I do and sounding less like I'm asking for advice and answering like it's a question. Because when people start giving advice, now I know I'm an expert. And their advice is usually either I've tried it, it doesn't work or I've tried it and it does work. Don't give me advice. <laughs> oh, so when you when you tell people what you do, you tend to start getting advice from them on how to improve your business or what to do? Absolutely. Yeah. Really? Now less Why do you... because I say, oh, I'm perfectly happy with what I'm doing. It's actually working really well. But I... What would you say before? I'm trying to break into the market or other unassertive ways of answering questions where you're asking for some input, which I really didn't mean to be asking. I think I just wasn't right. confident enough to say what I was doing and feel like it's legitimate enough. Yeah. I grew up in a place, first of all, the arts in Moscow are extremely respected. For example, someone saying right. they graduated from the conservatory and piano is a completely respectable occupation, even right. if it meant they're going to probably teach in the conservatory or in a music school for their entire life, making a small salary or, or whatever that entails. But in America, definitely felt like it needed more justification. Interesting. Wow. It's not my experience at all. And I'm really glad that you found a path inside of yourself to sort of transcend that doubt. Because in whatever field, in whatever walk of life you're in, if you walk around feeling like you're not legit enough, just it can make you crazy. Um, and I don't want that for you. <laughs> I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone. Um, definitely. I don't want that for from women. Um, I tend to see that more than anything else that women have dreams and they don't know if their dreams are, are okay. If, if they don't know if it's okay if they do what they want to do. They don't, they don't trust that little voice of their own soul inside. And so I'm really glad to hear as your friend that you were able to transcend that place of questioning. It's a lifelong journey. <laughs> it is. It is. So when did you start this podcast? 
So we started in November of 2017. And what made you decide to go this way? Because it's a little bit of a deviation from, from what you were doing before. Very true. So I had a breaking point. I had just come out mm-hmm. with a bunch of music videos that I spent yes, a ton of money on. <laughs> thank you. And Especially the one on the beach. Oh, thank you. I love, I love that one. Very, that, very one. Much. that was amazing. Stunning. Yes. And everything leading up to that point was sort of, oh, I'll just keep investing. I'll keep creating a better product. And then the product or whatever I'm offering is so good, it will have to pay for itself. Someone is going to pay for this. And there was a point where I put in so much money and I realized I'm not going to make anything back or I'm going to make pennies on the dollar back. And I was just getting started <laughs> with my ideas on my next projects. You know, by the time you release something, it's been in the works for so long. You already paid for it a million years ago. Your, your, yeah. your mind's already on the next. And just realizing, like, this is has to stop. The way it's going is not going to work. I cannot afford it. It's draining my energy. It's draining my motivation. And mm-hmm. I had to stop and pivot. And someone I consider a mentor, Rivka Harris, she suggests that I start a podcast. It took me a few months to figure out what that is and how it how it works. But I started slowly. We did two podcasts a month. And the idea was to be able to create free content and mm-hmm. do something for the greater good of the Jewish women arts community. Right. So surprisingly, it's done amazing things for me. Besides for building this huge database of Jewish women in the arts and joining our audiences together. That's one of the things we're doing also. I've established relationships with these women just like you. I feel like I have a a connection. I feel like I can reach out for help. I've been able to connect people and bring them gigs or find clients. And it's been so rewarding to be able to do something for, for the music world that's not music related. It also, it's yeah. a way for men to listen to my content for those who would never listen to my music, able to provide content for them as well. That's amazing. And do you feel like the men that are now hearing your podcast are seeing women and women artists differently after these conversations? Well, I really hope so. Yeah. <laughs> my husband is one of the representatives of the male audience and I'm surprised every time he tells me how much he enjoyed it because I, I always think to myself, why would he enjoy that? It's about women. It's about women's struggles. I feel like men have so much of that everywhere. Women complaining about their lives. Why would he want to listen to that? He definitely has to listen to them. I think it's part of our <laughs> relationship, but I think he uh, he genuinely enjoys it. Well, that's cool. And it's also for me to use my voice, Kalisha voice, which in a non-singing way. Mm-hmm. So my voice is not just what I'm singing. It's also what I have to say. And I think it complements. Of it, course. It's not just a pivot or a derail from what I've been doing. I think it really brings it all together. And so what do you see as your next steps in this endeavor and in your life in general as an artist, as a, a woman, as an activist? What do you see the next part of your life looking like? Those are great questions. My mind is always on to the next, as I said before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've always had this dream to have some sort of record label or the, the concept of a record label, a way to support female artists, 
to produce their music, to get their music out and distributed. As technology is evolving and distribution is much easier and the recording process is also so much easier and cheaper, I would love to find a way where we could get grants or other monetary support to women who really have true talent that that needs support. There are record labels out there or some sort of equivalent of that in the Jewish world for men. So creating something for women, again, legitimizing this, this field. It's so not legitimized, I think, hmm. delegitimized. So, yeah. Well, let me be the first then to legitimize you and, um, and all the women in the world who not only do this, but who question who they are. Every one of us in this world is here for a very powerful reason. Um, we are all, if we are, if we are built in Hashem's image, and if we are here to bring the light down to earth from heaven, I think it's an avera to actually, for even one moment, doubt your purpose or your dreams or your voice. And I, this is my own journey that I, I've, I'm so angry that women have been made to feel this way for so many centuries. It's not, didn't begin here. This is our grandmothers and our great, great grandmothers. And this is who we are. And we're always struggling to try to find that approval, that space, you know, like, oh, if I make money, then people will see me differently. If I get outside from the Jewish world acknowledgement, then that will help me feel more legitimate. My prayer for you and for women kind is that we find that inside. I think it's time for that. I think the world is ready for that. Our children are ready for that. Our daughters are ready to not have to waste their energy feeling illegitimate. We are all here to do something very special and precious. And I'm really, really an admirer of the steps that you have taken to try to bring the light down to this world. And so kolakavod and feel loved, feel acknowledged, <laughs> and may your story and your work continue to inspire women who are looking for their space. And please, women out there, do not for one moment question anymore. I think we've got to be done with that. Don't you think? I think, but I don't do. <laughs> so how, we, how are we going to change that? What, what do you need within yourself? I mean, this is therapy, right? After the big break or wherever one feels like they've made it, then it makes it all worth it or legitimized. I think every artist struggles with being legitimized and the big break making them legitimate. And until then, they're just aspiring or they're just trying or they're another wannabe. I, I don't think it's just a Jewish thing or a woman thing. Mm, I hear so that too. I think therapy or whatever it is. What's my big break? I, I want my music... I would love to like be in some random place and just hear little kids singing my song and not knowing that they're singing my song. I want to be, you know, how your father is Jewish music. Your father's music is Jewish music. We have an episode with Siona Hishen and she talks about how her Judaism, her coming back to Judaism was your father's music. <laughs> and I'm thinking yeah. to myself, he lived, when did he live? Torah and Judaism existed for centuries before your father's music. But to her, that, that was Judaism and that is yeah. her Judaism. So yeah, if, if my music could somehow be some sort of representation of Jewish music or Jewish existence, that would mean the world to me. And that's something I'm hoping to achieve and might be something I don't achieve or might be something that happens after I die, but maybe it's something to still try to strive for. So I agree. Just a little piece of knowledge, though. My father had no idea. You know that. In his lifetime, my father had absolutely no idea that he was as impacting as he was. 
And he suffered from these same feelings of, please, Hashem, give me the strength to do something good and lasting in this world. Please, Hashem, let the world know that they're not alone. Let these nigunim help them. He had no idea. There was no one in the world that walked around more delegitimized than my father, actually. So there you so, go. I don't right, know if no, this is a go. problem we could fix. Yeah. I think, I think that, that most people are really insecure. I think most people in the world need more encouragement from the outside than they probably receive. And I think the work becomes how do we find that from within? How, do we, how are we okay? What do we need to be okay it's not about who calls you and says you're amazing or hearing someone else sing your songs necessarily. It has to be about you waking up in the morning and knowing where you're supposed to be and feeling the song in your heart because you're davening, I think. And I believe me, I haven't, I haven't found that either. But I find it ironic and beautiful that people say, well, I want to be like Shlomo. My Shlomo didn't necessarily always want to be like Shlomo. He suffered a lot in his lifetime. And he, I think, died not understanding that he would be remembered if that makes sense. Totally. In contradiction to that, I actually do wake up every morning feeling blessed that I'm doing what I'm doing and not, and I I can't imagine doing anything else. I I feel like I'd be wasting, no, not wasting. I feel like I wouldn't have the energy or passion to take anything else through. For me, doing anything that's not passion-based is extremely painful and torturous. Yeah, I, I really hear that. Yeah. I really hear that. So what is your conclusion? What is your parting words of love to someone who would like to begin but doesn't know how? Or to someone who's just a little bit lost within their own hearts, and not knowing where to go? How would you advise them and lift them? So there are a few things. One simple thing is find yourself people who are mentors or people who you aspire to be. Try to establish a relationship with them if possible, get advice, feedback, and guidance. Mm. Uh, people like to help more than one would imagine. That's true. The other thing is what bothers me a lot about this industry, what makes it so illegitimate in a way, is that there are so many aspiring artists who are not, not that they're not great, but their technique or their skills aren't professionals. And they're at low level they, if they pursued it and they would get trained, they would be more professional. But blaming the Kolisha or the Jewish world, and I consider myself to be one of them. When I go see someone mainstream perform and I'm like, I'm completely not on their level. I cannot do what they're doing. I'm not saying, oh, if I didn't have these restrictions or if I didn't have Shabbos or I didn't have whatever, I could be on stage. No, I am not as talented as so-and-so. I, I'm, I don't have what it takes I think having the perspective of not every person who has the love for playing guitar or writing a song think that she is Ariana Grande or Adele. (laughs) So having that shift in what's possible for me, what's not, what kind of training can I give myself to improve what I have or to become the best version of my talent? How can I produce the best art for myself? But having realistic goals for yourself. Mm-hmm. And never trying to stop. Suppressing it is not going to help. But being realistic about what your talents are yeah. and trying to work within it. I think that's very depressing advice. No, I think it's real. I think it's real. I think that some people are are meant to do it for whatever reason and some people are not. And some people do it who don't want to. There might be people who are super talented and they feel so much pressure to do it. 
and they don't know how to get out. I've, I've met plenty of talented people who wish that they weren't doing what they were doing, ironically. I think all of us are just a little bit unsatisfied and searching, no matter what level of, you know, prof- professional experience we're on. Um, I don't think it's simple. And I don't think it's a formula, really, for everybody. You know, I think that every, every one of us is here f- to fit in a different space. And so our experiences are all different. But I, I totally agree with you. I think that being real with yourself and really looking at what you're able to do, what you're capable of doing, what your what your soul tells you, what your pocketbook tells you, you know, those are all those are all very important things. As an artist, I feel really proud of the exploration that you're that you're doing now and the the women that you're speaking to. And my prayer is that women in general in the Jewish world feel empowered and loved and lifted. And I, I just, I applaud you for all of your efforts. You are so kind. Thank you, Neshama. I mean it. Thank you for this time. It was really great to speak with you and get to know you a little bit better. So I hope you enjoyed this special episode with Neshama Karbach again. And I'd like to make a quick announcement about next week's episode. We will be having the co-hosts of the Intimate Judaism podcast discussing the topic of Koisha in a comprehensive matter. So we will be getting the background from Halacha and Torah as well as the psychological impact and perspective of a therapist. So make sure to subscribe so you get the notification next week. If you have been enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe, share this podcast with other friends. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go on to iTunes and leave us a review there, even if you do listen to this show on an Android or computer. Also, make sure to go back and listen to the episodes from the beginning. We have some amazing Jewish female artists who have been featured on the show. And if you do have suggestions for any future interviews you think we should hold, please make sure to reach out. We love hearing from you at franciscak at gmail.com. Please click on the link in the show notes to fill out a quick survey to help us build, improve, and make this podcast better for you. As promised, here we go. Ms. Morla David, Kol Isha. Ms. Morla David, Hashem Roi, Hashem Roi, Lo Echsar, Mino Deshe, Yar Pitzeni, in a
Thank you. 